Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and bitch about to exact some payback, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher and regular old karaoke singing empath demon, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we're here today to talk about Angel Season 4, Episodes 5 and 6, Supersymmetry, which is a watcher, and Spin the Bottle, which is a skipper. Vengeance. Sounds good. Let's raise the stakes. In Supersymmetry, Fred publishes an article in a physics journal and is invited to present her work. Thrilled to be back in her academic happy place, she reunites with her former professor, Dr. Seidel, and faces her fears to get back on stage. But during her talk, her worst fears come to life as a portal opens above her head and a multi-headed, snakish, eelish demon attacks her. Angel and Gunn saves her, but Fred is terrified and thrown back into the trauma she suffered in Pylea. She goes to visit Dr. Seidel and learns that he was the one who sent her to the Hell Dimension, and she wasn't the first or the last student that he did this to. Fred decides that Seidel has to die, and when Gunn and Angel try to talk her out of killing him, she goes to Wesley for help. Seidel sends another portal to her via text message, but she and Wesley escape and go to the university to confront him. Gunn and Angel realize what Fred set off to do and rush to try to stop her. Angel confronts Seidel, who opens yet another portal and sends demons after Angel. While he's fighting them off, Fred goes after Seidel and opens a portal of her own to a hell dimension, intent on sending him where he deserves to go. Gunn tries to talk her out of it, but as Fred looks conflicted and the portal starts to close, Gunn grabs Seidel, breaks his neck, and throws his body into the portal. Supersymmetry aired on November 3rd, 2002. It was directed by Bill L. Norton and written by Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fain. All right, Dr. Jones, on a scale of zero, which is stake this, and six, which is lost your soul, where are you with supersymmetry? So I gave this a 4.5. Mm-hmm. I really, 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 really wanted to give it a five. I mean, come on, right. y'all. This is a university for crying out loud. <laughs> like dark and twisty stuff and difficult questions to answer. And there's mm-hmm. so much great stuff here. But then we have to have freaking Connor and Cordy, and it messes it all up, and it pisses me off even more because (laughs) academia should be a goddamn happy place. And so (laughs) I took off a point and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it that the academic area of it is what really delights you. And darkness in academia. I mean, my God, there's a lot of fun to be had there. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, darkness (laughs) in academia. Now, there is the Mm. genre. That we need, and I don't know if we have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I gave it a four. Um, I love the Fred and Gunn and Wesley stuff. I am not as charmed necessarily by the academia as you are, but I love that you love it, and that makes me almost (laughs) want to give it another half point just for that. Um, But the Connor and Cordelia nonsense... All of that stuff is so freaking bad that it takes the whole episode down for me. And I I, like I really actually do like a lot of stuff in this episode. Mm -hmm. But that is so bad and so gross and so weird and so uncomfortable that I just I give it a four was about as generous as I could. Oh, that's still pretty generous. (laughs) I mean, it just it could have been great. The potential Mm -hmm. for greatness bothers me more than just a truly bad episode. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. No, yeah. I am mad. I am both mad and disappointed. I'm both mad and disappointed. <laughs> I mean, if you want to have like totally stupid, gross shenanigans, fine. But don't do them on a campus. Like there are places for things, people. <laughs> I love it. All right. So what are your moments of perfect happiness? Okay. Well, you'll never guess where they start. Um, (laughs) I can't even begin to imagine, especially because I have the script right in front of me. I know. So I made like an academia slash, I don't know, geekdom kind of happy place Mm -hmm. at the beginning. Yeah. Um, So we open with Fred like screaming over her published article. and, And I was like, hell yes to academic passion because one day a few years ago I got a letter in the mail naming me a governor's teaching fellow and I'm pretty sure I screamed like that and and it was great and then like Mm -hmm. Fred jumping guns bones when he was reading the article out loud I was like hell yes oh yeah to academic passion right I love that yeah of the more fun kind like yeah Mm -hmm. um and and I liked there were a couple times in this episode that they used metaphors to explain things mm-hmm. out of context yeah and so um when fred was telling them uh, she like about baseball like she was putting the physicists that she was presenting with in terms of baseball stars mm-hmm. to help gun and angel understand and i really like that and angel was like fred skipped the minors and went straight to the show it's like yeah Aww. it was really great you know <laughs> and and i know that gun is kind of self-conscious about not understanding the work but i never got the sense that fred looks down on him for that or that she even expects anyone to understand no. it. I was thinking about that too, because I'm like, you know, um, first of all, like Gunn has this thing where Angel's there and he's like, good. If she thinks we're both stupid, I won't stand out as much, you know? And I'm like, okay, first of all, neither of them are stupid. Right. Like, and I don't think anybody thinks that. And I also don't think that people who do science, like, ex- okay, now here's the thing. This shows all of my biases, right? <laughs> I am bad at math and science. So I fully believe, and this may not be true for everyone, I'm sure it's not, I fully believe that math and science are just harder. Like I can do English and I can do history and I can do stories and I can do all that stuff, but math and science is so like outside of my realm. So like the idea of anybody being like, what, you don't understand quantum physics? Like I can't understand anybody. And I've, and I've known scientists and I don't think any of them have ever treated anybody like, n- never in my experience have they treated people like they're stupid because they don't understand these things that these people had to get PhDs in order to understand like this is complicated stuff and when people have expertise of any kind but like especially math and science like there you know a lot of people just don't know it at that level and don't understand it at that level and it's not a, a matter of of you know capability you know or capacity to do it they just don't have the knowledge necessary to do it so it doesn't make them stupid and I don't like I guess I understand why Gunn would be insecure about his intelligence. I think anybody sleeping with Fred is going to have an opportunity to be insecure about their intelligence when you're (laughs) hanging out with somebody like that all the time. So I can kind of understand it. But like, in no way is Gunn stupid, you know, or should he be insecure about his intellect? And I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know. And and like, I think it just varies, right? Because your area of expertise, just because you have deep expertise, doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that you expect someone else to have the same content expertise. I mean, I taught at a university that was primarily engineering and science. And so my students studied all kinds of things that I did not understand. But a huge percentage of those students struggle with English. They struggle with Uh writing. They struggle with communication classes. Um, And and it's it's just being smart in different areas and different ways. So Mm -hmm. I can I can understand 
you know, gun feeling out of his element right, at this conference. But I never got the sense from Fred that she was disappointed or that she was, you know, not thinking that anyone around her was smart enough. And I'm, and I was glad to see that from her. Like she wanted them to be there just to support her. Right. You know, and, and they were, and and I liked it. And when she was being introduced, there was so much pride on Gunn and Wesley's faces. And you were like, Oh, (laughs) I know. It's so incredibly sweet. And I really love it. But here's the thing. Like I have a question. Mm -hmm. It's not really a research question. It's just like a general, what do you think question? Okay. Wesley is obviously smart, right? Yeah. But he's he's not a science guy. I mean, like he's like a language and history and like demonology and like all that kind of guy, you know, kind of kind of in, in intelligence. And so, like, do you think that he he seemed to understand? Like when he was talking to her about her article, he seemed to understand what she was doing. And like, where did that expertise come from? I I think Wesley has some knowledge in science. Like, um, Mm -hmm. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was early in the show. We saw Mm -hmm. him kind of like doing forensics on some of the stuff for the case. Um, I think it may be an interest of his. But right. But I mean, she's talking about like quantum string theory or whatever. Like, okay, yeah. quantum string theory may not be a thing. I am really exhibiting no, my so own ignorance. No, so I, I actually looked this up because I uh-huh. this is not my area of study at all. Um, and from what I can see from the people who did write about the science in this episode, it sounds like they got a lot right in terms of theory and how yeah. it's presented in the awesome. field. And mm-hmm. and to me, like the mark of true expertise is when you can take something in your field of study and explain it in such a way that someone who is not an expert can follow. Very true. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that Fred did that in her article. But okay. So <laughs> yeah. my experience with journal articles is that the clearer they are, the less people want to publish them. But that's a whole yeah, other thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but maybe, you know, Wesley has maybe enough. Maybe she was still able to yeah, do it. Yeah. Knowledge mm-hmm. to kind of piece it together. I'm not sure. To kind of piece it together. Yeah. No, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but we did see lots of intelligence here, like Angel's mm-hmm. visual intelligence. And so yeah. after, you know, the attack, when they go back to the hotel and Gunn comes downstairs and Angel has all the chairs arranged. Yeah. I mm-hmm. freaking loved him reconstructing. Yeah. That scene and like pulling mm-hmm. his memory out and watching him like remember everybody's face and where they were sitting. Mm-hmm. I could not do that if you gave me like five million dollars in cash. Um, yes. So it was just really cool, you know, to see mm-hmm. that. Um, and then we had the the metaphor thing come back when they go to the comic book store and Gunn is threatening that student and he's like oh my god it was so cute and i was i wanted to call josh Unruh and be like hey josh i don't know this episode to gun get it right like it's like no because he was saying something like it's it's like daredevil you know one, one, yeah. and um what electra gets or something like that and i was like oh my god like i remember him talking when we were doing daredevil on listen up a-holes the marvel cinematic universe podcast go download now it's really good um and joshua was talking about like all of those characters and all of that stuff and i was like oh my god i remember some of this from that so i <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I suspect that it probably is accurate because I know that Joss Whedon, you know, worked on the show, clearly um, was very into like knows his comic books, mm-hmm. you know, like knows all that stuff. So um, so I thought it was pretty great. And I love that that Gunn had that knowledge yeah, just sitting too. there like that's a that's kind of a new side to Gunn. I didn't know he read comics. Yeah, books, I didn't either. Know? And I really I liked like it. it. 
Yeah. And I really like this student. He got, you know, Angel's like, why yeah. did you have a camera? And he's like, dude, there were demons coming out of the ceiling. Like, I'm taking <laughs> pictures, you know. Right. And, <laughs> um, and I liked how he was talking about, you know, the students have these urban legends about mm-hmm. the science students who disappear. And then yeah. he tells Angel, he's like, there are whole forums on you in the chat rooms, man. And Angel's <laughs> like, they talk about me in the chatty rooms? And right. I don't know why that tickled me so much, but it did. It was so cute. Yeah. And I'm like, Angel, honey, come over to Discord. We have a forum just for you, baby. Exactly. It's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Sidell sent Fred that portal via text message. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. And also, I just have to say... Mm-hmm. You can open a portal to a hell dimension with a text message because I got to go get my phone. <laughs> like, where do I get this code, right? Exactly. Like, oh, my God. I couldn't decide if that was really smart and in creative use of technology or if that was just so implausible that it was silly. But I was like, oh, my God. Right. Like, because she. Well, it's reading it out loud, but it was also written in these, like, symbol. I don't know. Yeah, I don't it's know. All, it's but weird. like. Is the act of reading, like, what does that do to text? So it, it sends right. my brain in all kind of places. Um, that is really interesting. That just delighted me. Mm-hmm. But then I had some, I put them in happiness because I thought they were really well done. They don't make yes. me happy, but the storytelling right. here is mm-hmm. so good. And that was the trauma treatment with both Lauren and Fred. Yeah. So mm-hmm. although, like, so in the very beginning, we have, you know, Fred kissing all over gun because he's reading her article. And I don't blame right. her because I would have mm-hmm. been doing the same thing. Um, but we get Lauren's voice, you know, mm-hmm. saying, oh, give it to me, sweetness, right here. And I'm like, okay, stop. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, like, no, I didn't like where where that was placed. And the wording was they did a lot of that in this episode. Yeah, they really they did. did a lot of that. Yeah. And we'll get to some like of that sexual innuendo yeah. everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And I put mm-hmm. some of that in stake this but yeah, but it was followed so immediately by something that I loved because I loved Angel bringing Lauren's soup in bed. I know me too. You know, and like tending to him. care of him. It's about time somebody took care of Lauren. It really is. And and like yeah. all these strong emotions, the excitement from Fred and the tension with Cordy, like Lauren is like, I, I don't have an appetite mm-hmm. anymore because yeah. this is his source of power. This is his source right. of strength. And those powers have been used against him. Mm-hmm. So him not being able to tolerate strong emotions anymore felt like a real reaction to his trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I love also that it kind of took Lauren's gentle filter down because he says to Angel, he's like, Cordelia's shacking up with your hell spawn. I was like, yes, Lord, thank you for saying what we were all thinking. Like, exactly. God, you know. Mm-hmm. And he flat out refuses to read Cordelia again. And he's like, yeah. I'm not a champion. And he's mm-hmm. really afraid of Wolfram and Hart. And he has really good reason to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and he says, death doesn't look good on me. And he's got an axe right there mm-hmm. in his bed because he doesn't feel safe. Yeah. So, like, I I thought they were doing a really good job of not just having, oh, well, Lauren's all better now. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then seeing Fred's reaction to being faced with another portal just, yeah. I mean, she played that so well. And, mm-hmm. you know, she was talking about not wanting to, you know, go back to the university again. And, and she's writing on the walls again, which 
was the perfect way to show us. Oh, my God. I loved that moment when she's writing on the walls and we see her, you know, Amy Acker goes right back to the way that she played Fred in the beginning, you know, but you can see the Fred like at the same time, you can see the Fred who's come through all of that. She's just in that spiral staircase, Mm -hmm. right? You know, she ended up going around to that one dark spot um, and working her way through it. But it was so wonderful. And, you know, and I love the way that Gunn tried to comfort her. Yeah. You know, I thought that that was really, really sweet. I mean, it was a little bit dismissive of her trauma, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like trying to make her feel better by telling her it's fine. Yeah. She's clearly not fine. She's not fine. Yeah. Mm. But I appreciate him trying to be there for her. And I can see how he would be over his head and like, I don't know how to comfort someone who's gone through Working with trauma is really hard to do. That requires like an actual therapist. I mean, he did, you know, and he said, we're going to take care of it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to let anything happen to you. We didn't let that portal take you, you know, all of this stuff. And, um, and I absolutely like, I love, I, I think that like he couldn't address her trauma well in that moment. Yeah. But what he did was, I think, I thought really, really nice. And I, I kind of liked yeah, it. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. just trying to comfort her, you know, which yeah, I did appreciate. So sweet. But I yeah. really like the side of this that I saw them bring out with Fred that I think it's, I don't know, either skipped over or mis- overlooked mm-hmm. in a lot of, of stories about processing trauma. Because um, she tells Gunn, she's like, when you're a cow slave, you don't want anybody to see you at all. Right. And she was a rising physics star before Pylea, mm-hmm. but her experience there, you know, changed her. So yeah. her going to that presentation really shows how strong she was. But yeah. she was horrified not only by what happened, but that Dr. Seidel mm-hmm. saw it. Yes. And like that being seen after that kind mm-hmm. of trauma is real. And I, I think they right. did just an exceptional job. Yeah, showing that with her and Amy Acker did an amazing job um, yeah. acting it out. Uh, but then back in the happy, happy of perfect happiness moments, we have mm-hmm. Wyla. Uh, <laughs> Wyla, oh my god, we have uh, Wesley and Lila. Um, yes, and you know, Lila brings him this present, and Wesley's like, mm-hmm. "No, it can't be a bribe. Can't be a setup." And Lila, I think, with a great deal of authenticity, says, "Can it just be a gift?" Oh, God. It was really sweet. It was. And the way she was smiling at him. Mm -hmm. And, like, she was delighted to watch him open that, you know, battle helmet or whatever that thing is. And I'm like, first of all, I completely believe that Lila has real feelings for Wesley. Yes, absolutely. And I think gifts are her love language. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Of course they would be. You know, Lila does not express. I don't think she could possibly have any other love. Yeah, I think that that is that is her. But but she tells him, you know, she says, we seem to be butting heads lately. And now you'll have Mm -hmm. the advantage. And like, that is so Lila. Um, And she took the afternoon off. She wants Mm -hmm. to spend this time with him. But Wesley leaves. Mm-hmm. And when she walks over to pick up her, I guess her keys or whatever off the table, she sees yeah. Fred's article there and she knows where he's gone and mm-hmm. why. Right. And she follows him because she's Lila. And, right. and I was like, you know, she might have some Wolfram and Hart interest there, but I think mm-hmm. she went to watch Wesley's face while he was watching Fred. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we get more good Lila because yes. we have Lila and Angry Angel. I know, which is the best. So good. And 
Angel grabs her car and he's like, that's cool. The top just comes right off. And I'm like, oh, God, I love I Angry love- Angel and Lila. I love the Angel and Lila scenes. And, you know, and it's funny because she... um she does this thing with the idle threats, uh-huh. you know, because he comes in, he threatens her and doesn't do anything. And she's like, those idle threats are just so, you know, idle. Yeah. Well, and I <laughs> and I love that. I don't believe that Angel's going to hurt her. Like, Lila's in a bubble. Um, yeah. And, and I love it when he's, you know, telling her that something happened to Fred and she's like, mm-hmm. tragedy struck Gidget? Did she go to that big place in the big Texas sky? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and... But I like how Angel cuts back at her because he's like, no, we saved her. And if we hadn't been there, your good friend Wesley would be like Wesley would have stepped in because he knows how Mm -hmm. Lila feels about Wesley. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, and and he also knows just from talking to her that she didn't open the portal. Like he knows her well enough to know when she's telling him the truth. When she's lying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, like, when has Lila ever... When has he ever gone to Lila and said, you did this thing, and Lila didn't proudly say, fuck yeah, I did? (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you go to Lila and you say, did you do this thing? Lila will be like, hell yeah, and I'll do it again. (laughs) Like, she doesn't, you know. So, I mean, she doesn't lie about it. She doesn't need to lie about it. She will absolutely own it. So, if Lila says, I don't have anything to do with it, you know (laughs) she didn't have anything to do with it. Because she will claim the credit with pride when she does something terrible. Do you wonder if she was like, oh, man, somebody opened a portal over Fred. Why didn't I think of that? Like, Why I, didn't I think of that? <laughs> exactly. That was a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> and I like her whole thing where, yeah, if I'm going to do something to Fred, I'm going to walk in and then take a phone call and be absolutely as, pos- as suspicious as humanly possible while it's happening. <laughs> She's like, no. Oh, God, I loved it. It was so great. And then we get Angry Fred, which I really liked. I loved that. This this cold fury in her Mm -hmm. when she figures Mm -hmm. out what Sidell did. And she's like, he's the Mm -hmm. son of a bitch that sent me to Pylea. And Gunn says, he's going to pay. And Fred says, no, he's going to die. And I know. Oh, my God, I love that. I totally believe her. Yes. It was so great. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Angel and Gunn are trying to talk her out of that. But here's what bothers me about this. I have mm-hmm. many thoughts and feelings about this whole yes. thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're telling her not to kill him, which I understand yes. because we try not because to kill people in this world. Whatever. We try. We, we try, try not to. We try not sometimes, to. Sometimes it can't be helped. Sometimes but it's generally we try not to. But we try. <laughs> But they don't actually have another plan. Right. It's just, no, don't kill him. We'll figure something well, out. Well, we'll figure something out. Yeah, there's nothing specific. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, and I completely understand where Gunn's coming from with this, because, you know, when you exact vengeance, like, you pay a cost. You pay a, a cost to yourself. And, you know, and it's something that you can't come back from. Yeah. You know, and Wesley tells her that. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, which I really like, too, is the way that he kind of dealt with her on the other side. <laughs> well, and I love, I, I love the voice cut. So we hear Gunn yes. say, vengeance can get mm-hmm. ugly. And then yes. Wesley says, vengeance. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, damn, Wesley. <laughs> I love it, you know, and oh, God, yeah, there's so much, so much great stuff there. But I love her. um, 
oh God, I love her fury. Mm-hmm. I love her. She does not care. Whatever the price is, she will pay it. You know, um, it's not that she's unaware that there's a price for vengeance. She just literally does not give a fuck. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. And and I love the interaction with Wesley. You know, he's like, I read your yeah. article and I'm like, hello, still thirsty. Like, uh, right. Can, exactly. you just, can you just sit there and say that like three or four more times? I just, really? Oh, I like, should I should just make a recording of that for oh, you. That should be God. your ringtone. I read your article. I read your I article. Read your article. Like, holy, holy, holy. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> and when he's trying to talk her, you know, around the vengeance thing. Wesley tells Fred, you know, you have to live with your actions forever. And Fred said, he's a serial killer. And Wesley says, all right, then. Like, right, exactly. <laughs> Wesley's as code has you know, shifted. You know? I've read you the disclaimer. Have, you know, exactly. he's like, Angel and Gunner right. Vengeance has a price. Yep. You know, sign here to accept <laughs> this EULA. All right, then. You know, and I kind of love it. You know, I kind of love it. And I also love that moment, too, where um, she says, you've been keeping track of me. And he just goes, yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's he's dark, but he's honest. Yeah. He's not trying to like, I mean, he's not trying to pretend that he's not in love with her. He's not trying to like make it like, you know, well, I follow everybody. When, you know, whenever <laughs> Angel publishes a journal article, I go and see him speak or whatever. You know, like he's not he's not covering. He's like, yep. And that's it. Um, and I really kind of like that. Like. Dark Wesley, I mean, obviously there's darkness and, you know, and when you exact vengeance, there's a price to be paid. When you keep a woman in the closet with a bucket, there's also a price to be paid. You know, and he's clearly, you know, paid that with these little pieces of his soul and whatever, you know. Um, but I do like I, I, I there's something about the, what the darkness has done to Wesley. And it's kind of the same thing that this anger does to Fred. Mm-hmm. Like, they just don't give any fucks anymore. Yeah. And there's something nice about that. There's something liberating about that. Yeah. Um, and I really like the way that that's represented here. I do, too. And 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 Wesley's still working things mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, he's yeah. like, I'm surprised mm-hmm. the sure. gun's not here, no matter oh, the consequences. Yeah. And you're like, oh, clearly. all right, Wes, you're playing a little dirty. Um, but Fred says, you know, Charles doesn't have it in him as part of what I love about him. And... She right. doesn't want Gunn to fix this for her. She yeah. wants to go do this thing. Yeah. She doesn't want Wesley to No, either. she wants to do he it herself. He says, I want to tag along. And she's nope. like, no. And he respects that. Yeah. And just lets her, you know, go in right. and, and do the thing. Um, but when she says Charles doesn't have him in him, in him that's part of what I love about him. Um, there is this sense of like, like Charles is soft because of that or something and i'm like you know not wanting to kill someone for vengeance is really not weakness no. <laughs> like i didn't charles clearly has killed lots oh, of yeah. things like he has it in him to do this but he chooses not to use that which is within him because he knows what the cost is and i think that like to me it's it's when she says he doesn't have it in him yeah he does he does. He chooses not to use it. And I think that that's different. Yeah, I do too. But, but I think yeah. that like in all of the back and forth arguments about should it be Fred and Gunn or should it be Fred and Wesley? She's mm-hmm. answering that question for herself here. Yeah. Like there mm-hmm. is a darkness in you that is mm-hmm. not in Gunn or not as, yeah. as deep or not as comfortable in Gunn. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about him. So like I will come to right. you when I need help with this big dark deed, but I'm going home to him. Right. Except that, you know, once this happens, right. of course, right. 
Like, they can. Right. That changes everything. You know, if she had done it or if he had done it, you know, that's it. Like, that changes everything. And I think that that's a really interesting thing, too, because the thing is that Fred does have that darkness. Mm Mm-hmm. Fred has the darkness that Wesley has. Oh, yeah. And she loves that Gunn, and not that he doesn't have it or that he doesn't have the capability for it, but Gunn has dealt with his daughter. I mean, he killed his sister. Like, not out of vengeance, but that's traumatic. Right. Like, what he went through was traumatic. He saw his friends die all the time. He fought vampires on the streets and lived in an old warehouse. Like, Gunn has seen some shit. Oh, yeah. You know? He's been through it. But he's dealt with his trauma and processed it and hasn't given into darkness, you know, whereas Fred and Wesley haven't. Right. You know, so, I mean, they have that way that they can understand each other. Yeah. And, and you know, and that gun understands, but he's just not going to engage. In oh, it, yeah. You know? But and I think Fred knows this about herself, too, yeah. because when Seidel is, you know, trying to talk her out of this and he's yeah. like, you would never hurt anybody. And she says, you don't know me. Not anymore. Five years of pain right. and suffering in a hell dimension will make a girl capable right. of a lot of things. And I'm like, damn right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it reminds me of this scene. There is this great scene. And I think everybody should read this book because it's just fantastic. Um, and, and at the end, there's this book called Getting Rid of Bradley by Jennifer Cruz. It's book. amazing. It's right. So right. Good. So. So it is this woman who marries like a con man or, you know, he's just terrible and he does all these horrible things. And then she's, you know, in the process of getting this divorce. And he thinks that she's like this, you know, sweet little thing who will never hurt him. And she goes through all of this processing throughout the run of this book. And at the end, he's like, you're not going to hurt me. You're not going to do anything. And she's like, Bradley, I've changed. And (laughs) she (laughs) knocks him out. And I... Love, like, every time I get to that, it's always a Bradley, I've changed moment, you know, where you're like, you may be used to know me, but after what you did to me, I am different. Yeah, it's so great. I have changed. It's so great. And I am going to kick your ass and hit you in the head with a baseball bat. So, um, yeah, no, that's just like the Bradley, I've changed moments, whenever they happen, delight me to know it. Oh, yeah. And she's not messing around. Mm-hmm. You know, she opens a portal. Yeah. She's standing mm-hmm. back to send Sunil through it. Gun try, you know, gun comes in and tries to stop her. And I think Fred has a compelling point here. She's like, he'll do it again. He will not stop. Like this dude yeah. has opened like 17 portals in this episode alone. So, right. but, and how do all these kids go missing associated with him? And, and nobody's right? like, I mean, maybe they have looked into him and they just couldn't find any evidence. Cause you know, portals, portals. <laughs> like that. <laughs> You know, there isn't really like a forensic <laughs> team, I think, on the on the L.A. No, PD I don't ready so. to deal with portal residue or whatever. Yeah. yeah and, so. and Gunn says, if you kill him, I'm going to lose you. And then there's this mm-hmm. moment where Gunn like grabs Sidell and Fred yells, Charles, no. And I'm like, is she mm-hmm. saying no, don't save him? Or is she saying, no, I changed my mind. Don't throw him in. I think she doesn't want she doesn't want Gunn to do it. Okay. She doesn't want him to pay the price for her vengeance. Okay. She wants to she do wants it. She wants to do it. But then Gunn yeah. breaks his neck and throws his body in. And that gives yeah. me chills every time I watch it. Yeah. So I and I have many research questions about it. So I'm going to mm-hmm. save that um, for, for research. Okay. But then I had one tiny courty moment that I extracted a little bit of, of feeling from. Mm-hmm. at the end when she's back at the hotel um although i don't like it ending here and we'll talk about that in a second yeah. but she touches mm-hmm. angel's face where he's hurt and angel mm-hmm. pulls away 
And it was just yeah. heartbreaking, like remembering how she used to tend all of his wounds and how he used to get like actually excited and like happy. It's my it's turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. And then now we see them in this place where she touches yeah. him and he pulls back. And it just made me yeah. really, really sad. No, it is really it sad. It was really sad. Um, but okay. there's courty association with lots of other things I want to stake. So oh, I can, I can move in to stake this. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll start with, uh, I put court. Cordelia and Connor together. Um, because, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Stake it. Stake it. Stake oh, all of it with stake fire. It, stake it with fire. Stake it with. <laughs> in fact, I need to stake it with the kind of fire that I would have to get through one of Sidell's portals because we don't make right, it strong exactly. enough here. Like, oh my god. Oh, it's so. Oh, it's so gross. So you know, Connor's yeah. like apparently new hobby is breaking into the Hyperion, and mm-hmm. Angel, you know, here's someone breaking into the Hyperion and like mm-hmm. acts like he's going to attack him and then apologizes when he sees it's Connor and Connor's like, I'm used to it. And I'm like, listen, child, if you're breaking into a place with a guy you sank yeah. to the bottom of the ocean, you don't get to be resentful yeah. about him being pissed off finding you breaking in. Yes. Like, exactly. ugh, ugh. Ugh. And then God. he tells Angel that Cordy's always stealing the covers. And like, I had to just pause and go throw up. No, no, no. No, he's like her son. It's, it's disgusting. Why are we so... treating this like it's a normal love triangle bullshit instead of gross, edible, walking nightmare? Oh, my God. Like, like what? what is that? The actual hell. It's so Ugh. gross. God. And Connor brings Cordelia back all the pictures that she asked for, except he just conveniently couldn't find any of Angel. Mm-hmm. And she's pinning the yeah. pictures up like a detective murder board. I'm like, what yeah. the hell is she doing? I mean, maybe trying to put together her life. Maybe. Like, because she's still pinning together, like, her, her memories. I don't know. So I figured it was like that. But it does look like a serial killer board. It looks board. like a serial killer board. It really does. Yeah, and And yeah. she has her stuff, but she says she still feels like something's missing. And I'm like, could it be her memory or her sense? Like, her, yeah. like like oh yes you're you're in bed with connor yes everything feels wrong because because everything it's all wrong because it's wrong because this kid like whether she remembers him or not she saw pictures of her and angel and that baby like he was a baby she cared for him like he was her son and then that kiss oh god which oh, is god. disgusting oh, and oh, gross oh. and what the hell is wrong with people. It's so hideous. And not only is it hideous in mm-hmm. and of itself, but it takes this thing that I used to love of angel training Cordy mm-hmm. and it like yeah. blasphemizes it into this Connor training Cordy. And I just mm-hmm. I, like I need to throw up and set things on fire at the same time. I know it's terrible. It's awful. It's so awful. Maybe you could vomit fire on it. Oh, well, when I become the dragon that I've always, always <laughs> meant to be, the I... <laughs> maybe then I can make that happen. I will vomit fire <laughs> on this thing. It's terrible. It's so bad. It's the worst. It's so bad. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, on top of that sexual grossness. Um, mm-hmm. We get these running sex jokes that just aren't funny. And this keeps happening around Fred. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. right after she's squealing and she's got her article published and she's giving her speech. And she's, you know, up practicing her speech. And she's super mm-hmm. excited. Um, and Gunn tells Angel, girl, kept me up all night. She's unstoppable. And I'm like, okay, stop. Like, yeah. smart is absolutely sexy. And it is possible mm-hmm. to have incredible enthusiasm without sexual innuendo. Like, you yes. can do both. 
you can do right. <laughs> it's just no but they just and that's the thing like the whole joke the entire joke is like <laughs> you can take this two ways uh-huh. <laughs> one of them sexy uh-huh. it's like all right fine that's not even oh, clever God. that's not even and we had all that stuff with like Lawrence. yes give it to me sweetness like that yeah. you know all Ugh. of this it's just gross it's so gross it's so ew, yeah all of it and it's not that funny like that's the other thing if the joke was good no, i don't mean come on you know? like sexual innuendo is probably like my third favorite genre i mean i was like <laughs> but, but when it's bad it's just awful so yeah. I, ugh, I don't no. know um, and mm-hmm. then one of the other things I wanted to stake was we find out three students were sent to Hell Dimensions before Fred mm-hmm. and one after. So yes. basically, this bastard tried to kill five of his students. And who is going after the other four? Like, is anybody going to try yeah. to save them? Does anybody care? Anybody going to fetch these, these other, women like, who are off in these, these other like, hell dimensions? dimensions? They might be in Pilea, be. for all we know. Like, yeah. That seems to me like a mystery we got to solve, I, but I, apparently... I, I think our champion's a little unchampion-y at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just brought back to mind how much it bothered me that they left all those people in Pilea at the end of that arc. Like, yeah. I just... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think Angel's real clear on his mission. That's what I'm saying. No, there's a lot of drop no, balls I think here, a and that's not an innuendo of any kind. Like, seriously, yeah. they're dropping major story things. Um, yes. Okay. Can Can I do something slightly less serious yes. that needs to be staked and staked like with fire? Uh-huh. <laughs> we have the scene with uh, Wesley and Fred where they're fighting the portal, right? And then we have Cordy and Connor where they're fighting the nonsense people that they're fighting just so that they can have this weird thing. And we have not one, but two faux sex falls right where one falls on top of the other (laughs) and there's this i mean we didn't actually see it with wesley and fred but they were falling in that position behind the couch and then we jump to cordy and connor who are falling in that position so it's definitely implied and it's terrible and people do this all the goddamn time the faux sex fall has to stop it is not romantic. It's not sexy. It's just, oh, here we are. I really want to have sex with you. And now I'm on top of you. Ah! No. And, you know, like, and plus, I, it's, just, it's terrible. I have fallen down more than once mm-hmm. in my life. I've mm-hmm. never fallen and gracefully landed underneath someone with my leg, just happened to be wrapped in a sexy position. Like, I don't think right. those physics actually exist on this planet. No, no, they don't. Like, and if you're falling on top of each other, somebody is going to get need in an uncomfortable place. Yeah, or like place. you're like, going to bump your teeth on the other person's forehead exactly. or like something's going to, like it doesn't, it doesn't go That's like not, that. It's not sexy. No. And I don't care. And it doesn't like, I don't know. I don't know why every TV show in the history of ever has done this. And I hate it every single time yeah no more faux sex falls just stop no it. more faux sex falls you heard it no first more. here folks I'm putting, i am putting down my gavel <laughs> that's it i have made my ruling <laughs> knock it the fuck off it is stupid it is dumb and it's embarrassing and it's uncomfortable and it's not romantic and it's not sexy and nobody cares <laughs> actually write if you want romance and tension with your characters write it yeah. and if, if people want to have sex just like go have sex that don't just let oh, have sex. yeah it's yeah. so bad no it's so, it's so bad. i hate it i hate it and it's everywhere and now that i've like actually <laughs> consciously <laughs> taken note of it i see it all the goddamn time everything i watch i'm like here's sex. The sex. there it is there it is whatever oh we're gonna have to start counting them now <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the not enough stakes well, in the now, world. One other thing that bothered me about this episode was the way it ended, because oh yes, this this is some dark and powerful stuff, and we have this moment mm-hmm. when. You know, Fred and Gunn go upstairs, and they're obviously deeply troubled, and Angel's mm-hmm. standing there looking up after them, and that is when it should have ended. But yes. no. Yes. But no. Yes. We have to have Cordelia no. come in and talk and say, were we in love? And that's where we cut. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Re- it's a cliffhanger, really? and it's stupid, it's so and dumb. don't do it. It's so dumb. If you don't have enough security that you're writing well enough that the people are going to come back next week, don't do this cheap bullshit. Yeah. yeah. This cheap cliffhanger bullshit. No. Like, we want to come back and see. I am both mad and disappointed. <laughs> mad and disappointed. We need a word for that. Yeah. Exactly. It's so bad. Um, but this episode did raise some good research questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have to climb on my soapbox. Okay, do it. And full regalia. So just a minute, because I got to put on my robe and my hat. Okay. (laughs) Cap in place. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Pedagogy is my passion. Bad teaching pisses me off. But (laughs) Professor Seidel is an example of more than bad teaching, because he pretends Mm -hmm. to care about his students, and they trust him. And he has power and influence over them. And he also has a responsibility to them. Because mm-hmm. teaching is a sacred calling and trust is at the core of it. And part mm-hmm. of your job is to nurture the talent and gifts that are in your students, especially when they have a real passion for your field of study. He mm-hmm. violates all of that. All of that. Yes. And and he does yes. it because he's threatened by students who are brighter than he is instead of being inspired by those students. So I yeah. hate him. And he's a great antagonist for that reason. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And we see some of this, like he's got the, the perpetual TA who he keeps mm-hmm. around because she doesn't threaten him. But then with Fred, <laughs> like he gives her an A minus on her last test mm-hmm. because he uses a different standard for her. So he pretends like he's pushing her and believing in her. Mm-hmm. And I want to punch him so bad. Um, yeah. And so like the fact that he uses supernatural means to get rid of those students makes him a great mm-hmm. antagonist in this show. But then it raises Mm -hmm. a lot of questions of what justice should look like in his case, because Mm -hmm. they can't just send him to jail, even though Angel threatens to. I mean, L.A. is a supernatural city in this world, but the legal system is not set up to prosecute portal crimes. And, like, there's nothing that the police are going to do. Sending him to Pilea or Cortal, and I kind of vote for Cortal because we see what it did to Connor, um, Mm -hmm. is an interesting idea. and, And it feels poetically just in a lot of ways. But with all of his knowledge, he could find his way back to L.A., you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. he would hurt people in other dimensions. So how do you contain someone with that much knowledge who's willing to do that much harm who still falls under the human protection label in the rules of this world? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, because he's just human, like he knows how to use the supernatural, but he's not supernatural himself. So Mm -hmm. technically, he falls within Angel's code of not hurting humans. But where Mm -hmm. are the tribunals and the councils and the oracles and the powers that be? Like, how are champions expected to fight for good in a world where humans, who they're supposed to protect, use magic to cause evil? Right. And escape any kind of because you can say, oh, he made them disappear to the police and then they'll ask how and you'll be like, well, portal. Portal? There was this portal in this demon. Right. Yeah. 
So you can't, like, you can't leave it. I mean, the thing with bad humans is that you leave it to the humans to deal with. That's human business. That's why we have police and a justice system. But humans who dabble in the supernatural, who use the supernatural in order to do their evil, kind of fall into this middle area. And and yes, there should be a tribunal mm-hmm. or a council or something. Something. That where you can you can send a human who needs to be dealt with on a magical level, but it's still human and not demon. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is it is a really tough call. And I think the fact that it is Gunn who, you know, another human Mm -hmm. who kills this human and throws him through a portal. um, Like, I think that that is appropriate. I like the choice that they made. It's also incredibly difficult, um, especially from Gunn who had chosen specifically not to do this because he didn't want or told Fred not to do it and has chosen himself not to go into that darkness, you know, um, done all this work to process his own darkness so that he doesn't do that and then ends up doing exactly that thing, you know, Um, which is so it's so crunchy and it's such a great choice. But it does feel once again, like the powers that be are not good. No, no it's like they're the, not the powers that sometimes show up. Like I, you know, but yeah. the thing with gun. Okay, so I mm-hmm. had this question. So basically, mm-hmm. left to the human options, we can't contain him. We can't prosecute him. We can kill him, or we can send him to a hell dimension. Right. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to me that Gun decided to take matters into his own hands to spare Fred, and we'll we'll talk about that. Um, right. That mm-hmm. gun chose death instead of hell for Sidell. Yes. And was that worse in Gunn's mind? Or was it a mercy killing him instead of sending him to a hell, a hell dimension where he would probably suffer for years? Well, I don't know. Because the thing is, he also had another choice, which is close the portal and keep Sidell alive and not kill him and not throw him into the portal like those were options as well yeah so i think that if he was really after mercy then he wouldn't have done either either killed him or thrown him through the portal yeah but i'm just saying like he he seemed to reach that moment of okay we're gonna get rid of this guy so right there's nothing else to be done but he killed him Mm -hmm. before fred's not gonna give up until yeah but he killed him before he threw his body in yeah so i think maybe it was I, i was just really curious about that like which in Gunn's mind, was the worst punishment. Well, it was it was mercy, but also it was, uh, you know, whatever you put through a portal comes back. Yeah, like you yeah, know, we got uh, Connor and um, Holtz went through a portal. Yeah. You know, Fred went through a portal. Everybody who goes through a portal generally comes yeah. back. So I well, mean, that's like, true. throwing him through a portal may not be may not be final yeah, enough. That's you know? true. That's- to keep him to from, keep him from, from hurting back or from hurting and other people on the other end of the portal. Yeah. Who knows what terrible things he might do to, to whatever's on the other end. Of the, I mean, maybe it is a hell dimension, yeah. but you know, he could still do other terrible things in the hell dimension. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't it know. just raised a lot of questions. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know how to feel about gun stepping in and doing this for Fred. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and like Wes was willing to help her execute her own plan. And he, he mm-hmm. warned her about the cost of vengeance first, but he didn't try to stop her. Um, yeah. And, you know, Gunn is worried that it will change Fred. He'll lose her, you know, and mm-hmm. so he kills him instead. So then 
has Fred lost Gun, and in some ways has Gun lost himself? Yeah. And was he protecting yeah. her, or was he taking away her agency? Like, was mm -hmm. he protecting her, or was he undermining her, or was he, you know, taking a choice away from her and doing something horrible? Like, it, it reads like it's presented as him trying to save her by doing this horrible thing. And I just yeah, and but it is taking away her choice. Yeah. Like he is, he is trying to talk her out of this. You know, for good yeah. reason. He's got a lot of really good reasons. Gun makes a good argument, and there's this really nice moment too, where she says, "We kill monsters every day," yeah. and he's like, "No, we help people." You know, and like that, honestly, how you frame that makes all the difference. They're not about killing monsters. They're about protecting people. They're about helping right. people. So if the monsters aren't bothering anybody, they're not going to kill right. them. You know, um, so I, I found that to be really interesting and in that he he has the mission. Like he knows what they're there to mm -hmm. do. And Fred ordinarily does as well. But in this moment, I mean, she has been through some shit. She's been completely re-traumatized by this portal. Um, also, I, my question is, you've got everybody there. You've got a public situation. Is that really the time to open right? a portal? Is like, that like, right? is that really the best time to like open a portal and have it in front of all of these people who are witnesses to this like that seems kind of sloppy especially because she was coming to his office the next well day. but maybe he like, had to stop her before she shared her insight with all those people but she's already published the article yeah right i mean like so i, I don't, don't know. know all of it feels a little bit it's one of those things where like if you look at it it kind of falls mm -hmm. apart um but i do love this you know getting back to your question about gun that um that it is like what is he doing and is he doing all of those things like is it not an either or is he both protecting her and taking away her agency uh, like he's doing yes. all of those things yeah. i don't think they're mutually exclusive i think you're right because by taking away her agency he was trying to protect her but right. it just like mm -hmm. oh my it raises so many difficult questions and i like it yeah. but it raised another yeah, it one does. Mm -hmm. so angel has some pretty keen insight into human nature and he knows yes. Fred and Gunn really well. Angel mm -hmm. asks them what happens. Gunn says it's taken care of. And Angel says, Oh, mm -hmm. sucked into his own portal. I wish I could have seen his face. So that makes mm -hmm. it seem like Angel thinks sending Sidale to a hell dimension was a good idea. But does he yeah. really believe Fred and Gunn's story? Because Angel's not leading anybody anymore. Not really. And they yeah. both needed mm -hmm. his guidance here. They needed his support. They yeah. needed him right. to step in. His wisdom and experience yeah. because he knows from monsters, right? right? And yeah. he's just become so hands-off. And, like, he's showing up to help with stuff, but he's really not. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of feel, I'm like, okay, like, this was the time to step in mm -hmm. and to give some guidance here. But I wonder, do you think he believed them? I don't think he thought about it. Yeah, uh, there you go. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't think that he, because uh, the thing is, is that Angel would be like the one to say, you know, no, this isn't like, you know, I mean, he, he knows what the cost of, of vengeance is. He knows what all of this is, you know? So um, it just doesn't seem like, it seems like it's done. And he's just like, okay. You know, done is done. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to, you know, we're not going to actually, you know, sit and think about it. So, yeah, I just yeah. don't think he thought about it. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that that's what bothers me about it. Yeah, because it's not like Angel to not think about it. Yeah, Angel I mean, Angel, Angel's whole thing is the why. Right? The why matters more than the what to Angel. It always has. So here, like, the why matters, you know? Yeah, Yeah. he's gotten away from the why brooding. Mm -hmm. And and you can tell he just doesn't care anymore. Um, I mean, you know, granted, he was in a crate for three months. That also is traumatic. That's true. You know? That's very true. That's he might just be at the point where he's like, I am so tired. Like, I'm yeah. emotionally and mentally, psychologically, just I'm tired. Yeah. yeah. And I cannot deal with your bullshit. Well, and I think <laughs> we're getting there pretty much with everybody, right? Yeah. I mean, Lauren has yeah. hit that. No, yeah. I'm not a champion. Fred has now, you know, hit her dark mm-hmm. place. Gunn has yeah. done this this very hard thing. Wesley's mm-hmm. like, vengeance? Cool. So, like, yeah. obviously everybody has has shifted. Um, yeah and so i'll brood on that because if you ignore every scene with connor and cordelia super symmetry is a dark powerful episode of angel fred struggles with trauma and vengeance and the fallout leaves blood on gun's hands and it feels like everyone has changed lauren no longer Mm -hmm. feels powerful around strong emotions fred has touched the darkness wesley was happy to help her do it and gun finished Mm -hmm. what she started and Angel's still around, but he's not acting like their leader. And Cordy mm-hmm. has lost both her memory and her mind. Oh, God. <laughs> so <laughs> now that I've brooded, let's move on to the second of today's episodes. Spin the bottle. In Spin the Bottle... Willow casts a memory spell to make Tara forget their fight, but the whole sprig of leaf bramble accidentally catches on fire, and while everyone's at the magic shop, they all pass out and forget who they are. And Spike thinks his name is Randy Giles. Lonnie. Lonnie. What? Lonnie. Huh? Hmm? Honey. What? That's Tabula yeah? Rasa from Buffy Season 6. Oh. Oh, right. Well, if it's a good idea one time, it's even better twice, right? So, okay. <laughs> Let me start over. And spin the bottle... The kids have to sell chocolate to fundraise for the band, but the candy is laced with a curse that makes all the adults think they're in high school, and then Joyce and Giles do it on the hood of a police car. And... <laughs> Lonnie. Lonnie. What? Honey, that's band candy. Buffy season three. Right. Oh, man. Okay. All right. How's this? In Spin the Bottle, we take two great concepts from Buffy and smash them together in a subpar episode of Angel, which has a few great moments, but is mostly meh. That'll do it. Gotcha. Let's do this thing. In Spin the Bottle, Lauren gets a spell from a friend that is absolutely guaranteed to give Cordy her memory back. No side effects, no magical shenanigans like pretty much every other time magic is used in the Buffyverse. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Apparently, a lot. All the drama between Angel and Cordy and Fred and Gunn and Wesley that Lauren didn't know about messed with the spell and it puts them all on an LSD trip until Cordy smashes the bottle and whoosh! All of them think they're the 16-year-old versions of themselves. After a farcical run of misunderstandings and jokes that don't really matter, Lauren manages to create a goop that returns everyone's memories of who they are. When Cordy remembers everything, she sees a demon and then runs off. Angel chases after her and asks if they were in love. She says they were and leaves. Spin the Bottle aired on November 10th, 2002. It was written and directed by Joss Whedon. All right, Dr. Jones, on the perfect happiness scale with Stake This at Zero and Lost Your Soul at Six, 
Where Are You with Spin the Bottle. So I gave this a three. This is a half happy, half not happy <laughs> double espresso shot. Please. Um, <laughs> the things that are good are good. But the basic copy of Buffy and the stuff that is not good is really not good. Mm -hmm. But even with that, it has some great dialogue and it makes me laugh, even though I'm watching it like I am mad and disappointed. I still laugh. So are we are we, are we mad pointed? Is that We're mad is? pointed. <laughs> All right, I'm also mad pointed. Um, I have it as a three, two. I, I actually both love and hate this episode. I mean, on the one hand, it has some fun moments and it gives us a bizarro world, which I mm -hmm. always love. And Wesley Gunn and Fred, like their stuff is really good and angsty in the first part of the episode. Um, on the other hand, the weird framing of the story coming from Lorne as he narrates it from a nightclub in some distant or maybe not too distant future, the flat farce of it all, and the just terrible, terrible Cordy Connor and Angel stuff makes it cringy and annoying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not great. But I'm going to go ahead and start with, uh, with what moments of perfect happiness I could pull from this. <laughs> um, Wesley, Fred, and Gunn, which uh -huh. is... Just amazing. Um, all right. Here's the thing. Love triangles can be bad. There are a lot of people who hate love triangles, and I completely understand. Like, the first time we played this love triangle where Fred had no idea and Wesley and Gunn were, like, fighting over her like she was the last Pop-Tart, right? That I don't generally like because it tends to make one person completely objectified and not active in this conflict, which I think is much more interesting if you have the person at the top vertices vertex of the angles in the in the triangle <laughs> see this is me trying to explain geometry i'm not a math person all right i don't know lonnie it's kind of hot <laughs> thank you thank you very much oh I'll, I'll work on it um so anyway so you've got the person at the top of the triangle right who is wanted by both other vertices on the triangle um <laughs> then you've got a great internal conflict brewing because they want both of the other people and they have to choose because polyamory is not an option that we're given in 1990 or 2002 television or whatever. But now that I think about it, like polyamory with Gunn, Wesley, and Fred, I could be into that. Oh, yeah. I could be completely into uh -huh. that. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Like, I love Wesley and I know he's terrible in a lot of ways and I completely understand everybody who sends me messages whenever I say Wesley's wonderful and they're like no this 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 and this and they have textual evidence and I'm like yes you're right but still I don't care I love him and he wants her and so I want her for him and I cannot help it it is how I am I ship it I ship it I ship it I don't care um, this moment when Wesley walks in while Fred and Lorne are speaking Pylean to each other and he's like did I miss the spell did English go away and the two of them share this like sweet sweet smile yeah. and it's just oh my god it's just so incredibly sweet and I love Love it and I ship it and I will not apologize for it although I apologize a little I have a little shame but I can't help it I love it and I think that it's great love what you love baby love what you love I love Wesley and Lila, but I also love these little mm -hmm. quick scenes that we're getting of Wesley in his apartment away yeah. from the team. Yeah. And so he's like buying these wrist weapon black yeah. market things. And when he answers the phone mm -hmm. at his place, he's like, Price here. And and it echoes back to Angel calling him Price yeah. when Angel tried to smother him in the hospital. And mm -hmm. it's like he's taking on this new identity because of that. Right. Trauma, you know, because of those things that he went through. And I, I know 
Wesley is is problematic in a lot of ways, but I don't care. I'm with you. I love him. I love him. I love him. I just want him on the Lila ship instead of the Fred ship, but that's okay. I want him I on would, all the ships. I, I want him, him on the Lonnie Lila. ship. Oh, yeah. 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 I would take Wesley. I would take Wesley all dark. That'd be fine by me. Uh-huh. Um, but I love all of it. Like, it's just, it's so good. And I love him and Lila. I absolutely love him and Lila. But I do love him and Fred, too. Like, I just, I can't help it, you know? And he's in love with Fred in a way. And again, like, coming back to this, you know, this kind of discussion of, of you know, we've had this whole thing. What do we deserve? Right. You know, and we mm-hmm. had that a couple episodes ago, that big discussion. And like this idea that like Wesley is in love with Fred in this way that is almost unreal. Um, and he has her up on this, you know, perfect pedestal. Like he has mm-hmm. always seen her in this way that is just like, you know, beyond perfection. Like he doesn't see her as a human person. He sees her as like this, this idolized perfection, um, which is not something that any human person can possibly hold up to, you know? Right. Um, and yet Lila is there and she is real and she is honest and he sees everything with her and they see each other clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, which I kind of love. And I think that that's really sexy. People who actually see each other, um, oh, yeah. you know, for what they are and, and accept each other that way. So, um, so while the, um, like the Wesley love for Fred, like people who have problems with that, I completely agree and see what you're talking about. Um, but when he said, did English go away? And she gives him this smile and they just like, I'm sorry, but they have chemistry and I love it. And I ship it, I ship it, I ship it, I don't care. Um, (laughs) But also we have this wonderful thing with Gunn, you know, where he's sitting in the dark and Wesley comes into the office and Gunn's Mm -hmm. like, she's pretty brainy too. Maybe you two are kindred souls. Maybe that's why she went to you to get help killing the professor. Right. And then they have this whole thing where they get in each other's face you know, and he's like, maybe I'm the muscle and there's that whole thing. And then, um, and then Wesley has his like little arm sword, his little arm (laughs) dagger come out, his little web shooter dagger thing. Um, and he's like, well, some of us have to, you know, rely on things other than muscle. And it's just God. And then when Gunn says, what happened to you, man? And he goes, I had my throat cut and all my friends abandoned me. I love that so much. That is one of my favorite moments from the whole thing. And it just, freaking delights me it's so good it is one of the iconic lines like when i think of angel as a whole that is one of the lines man there's god doesn't love you but i still do Mm -hmm. and i'll take away your bucket and he'll need more blood i'm fresh out (laughs) and i had my throat slit and all my friends abandoned me and then stuff that's coming in the future man. Oh my God, they're just, it's so great. It's so great. And I loved in this discussion between Wesley and Gunn, Gunn is basically describing the five-man band. You know, he's like, Angel's the man on the card. He's not a leader no more. Yeah. He He doesn't have that champion's heart like Cordy. And the brains, that was you. So that leaves muscle. And Wesley says, what about Fred? Right. So like they're naming the five-man band Mm -hmm. pieces. And I love it. I love it. And, you know, Gunn is basically saying, you know, he's accusing Wesley yeah. of, of trying to get back with Fred. And he said, you think I don't know why you keep coming back here? Mm-hmm. And Wesley just comes back with this because you keep needing my help. I know. <laughs> like, I, know. I know. But That's the thing so is, like, through all of this, and you think they're just fighting over a girl. But these two 
are best. I mean, they were best friends. I know. Like, this isn't about Fred entirely. You no. know, Wesley feels betrayed by Gunn, who he loved as well. Like, Wesley loves, and this is the thing, this is where a love triangle works. When all of the vertices love each other. Mm-hmm. Right. That is amazing. That is oh, when yeah. it's good. I and mean, people hate love triangles and you got a good reason because they're a cheap form of conflict for people who don't know what they're doing. But this shit, this is awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody Absolutely. loves each other. Everybody's conflicted. You know, Gunn and Wesley, do you remember they had their handshake? I like know. the bonding. And they had nicknames for each other. Nicknames for and each they other. Did. They were they best. Did. They were best, best friends, you know. They- and. <laughs> I love that. I love it so much. And it's just it, all of it breaks my freaking heart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they do a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I have some other moments of perfect happiness in this terrible episode. Okay, It's not all terrible. Some of it is <laughs> good. But like one of the things that I like, like the Cordian Angel stuff, most of it is blanket terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get to that in the staking. But there were two things that I liked. All right. Um, when she first sees him and she's teenage Cordy. Right. She says, hello, salty goodness, which, of course, is what she <laughs> says exactly the first time she sees him as teenage Cordy in Buffy season one. I love that callback. I thought that that was fantastic. And then we've got this book ending, right? Because in the beginning, you know, we pick up from last week's cliffhanger, which was stupid. We already discussed that. Um, And uh, she's asking him, were we in love? And he's like, I can't answer that question because I know how I felt, but I didn't know how you felt, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, then we get to the end where he says, were we in love? And she says, we were. Right. And that is I mean, everything else about it is terrible. You have it in context of everything else, because this is the moment where the woman who specifically asked for no lies and no secrets ran off with her lies and secrets and whatever, (laughs) you know, like it's just it's all so incredibly stupid, Um, you know, and um, and I also love the moment in the beginning where he says, all I know is that you were my dearest friend and I want that back that much at least like when he says that to her that's amazing so if you take all of this stuff out of all the rest of the context because everything else that has happened in the last couple episodes in this one uh ruins everything you know it just basically lifts its leg and pees all over it um (laughs) but if you look at these things you know solely by themselves they are great moments they are. And and I had canon that she has to run away at the end of that conversation because now she has her memory back and she has to go throw up, brush her teeth and shower after kissing Connor. Knowing that she's kissed Connor. Yes. Yeah. No, I just it's just it's terrible. It's, <laughs> it's terrible. So it's so terrible. Bad. What they do to Cordy is fucking terrible and no spoilers. But God damn it. All right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so the other thing that I love uh, in this episode is Fred. Because yes. Fred in this is a goddamn delight. I love that she keeps asking for weed, but it <laughs> drives me crazy that we have her say it two times and we missed the opportunity for the three beat. I mean, oh my God. We have her. She asks if anybody has weed. Then she asks if Angel has any weed. And at the end, you need her to ask for weed after getting her memory back, people. That is the three beat. That is what we set up. The whole thing was for that. And they just don't do it. What are you doing? You did the hard part of the three beat, which is establishing and reinforcing, and then you missed the opportunity for the joke. 
when she gets her memory back, when he feeds her the goop on her tongue and she opens her eyes, she needs to say, oh, my God, please tell me you have some weed. (laughs) It was right there. It was there. It was waving at you as you drove by and you didn't do it. And I don't understand, you know, I love um, you so much. no, that just makes me crazy. Like that is an, I mean, I like the thing is like, it's an opportunity missed, but it's like an opportunity. You built everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like building a house and being like roof. Nah, we don't need it. <laughs> like, I don't I don't even understand like why you would do that. Anyway, it's the perfect opportunity it missed and whatever. Um and then there's like this one line from her where she's talking about like, you know, my friend Levon said the, all the stuff about aliens and then she's talking about <laughs> stuff and then everybody's like, No, and so she goes, There's conspiracies and stuff. Y'all don't even know. You know it, just, <laughs> it is the most adorable thing in the world and I love it. I loved it. I like all the teenage personalities. Um, yeah. Or just seeing everybody. But I'm so bummed out that we didn't get teenage Lorne. Right? And like, I don't understand how he was immune to the thing. Well, he went over and like, because they were all around the circle. So when oh. Cordy hit, when Cordy kicked the, or smashed the bottle, everything went into them. But he was already passed out behind the um, okay. Behind the so desk, because he so, wasn't yeah. in the circle anymore. He wasn't in the circle. I anymore. wanted to see teenage Lorne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was very sad about that. Right. Um, but I did like him, although I'm really confused about the whole nightclub performance telling the that story whole thing. I, narrative I don't frame it. was weird. Yeah, but I liked him really explaining, like, okay, it's my job to read people. Yeah. (laughs) But nobody here is telling each other anything that's going on. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, like, I didn't know a couple hours ago that Fred tried to kill her professor. And Gunn didn't know that Wesley tried to help her. And Wesley didn't know that Gunn actually killed the guy. And Mm -hmm. Fred doesn't know that Gunn has now figured out that she went to Wesley for help. And I was like, thank you for that recap, Lauren. Like, that was... (laughs) (laughs) That was helpful. Yeah. Um, and I got a total kick out of Cordelia telling teenage Liam that he didn't sound Irish. Yeah. And he's like, there's something wrong with my voice. <laughs> right. But why doesn't he sound Irish? Well, because, because he doesn't have memories of yeah. changing his accent. Well, I think it was more David Boreanaz, like, laughing at himself for not being able to do a great it was Irish tough. accent. It was just really ah, cute to ah, me. It was really they funny. They making fun of he can't do the Irish accent. <laughs> Like, it was just great. Poor David Every honest, time he did that accent, people must have just been mocking look him. Look at him. I know. So bad. But I yeah. thought it was funny. Yeah. And I love Wesley, like mm-hmm. teenage Wesley, who when he puts his hands on his face and he's like, judging from the amount of facial hair I've grown, we've all been unconscious for at least a month. Right. Perhaps the whole point of this experiment is hair. And then Gunn is like, I vote he's not in charge. Like, <laughs> It was so funny. It was so funny. And when he popped Mm -hmm. those wrist stakes out and scared the hell out of himself. I know. Oh, God. It made me laugh. And then when he um, pulled the cross out on Gun and Gun just punched him. (laughs) I don't know why it made me laugh, but it did. I watched the episode twice and both times it made me laugh. (laughs) It is. It's really, that's, it's it's really, the thing is, like, a lot of those things are funny and Mm. they're cute. It's just that they don't add up to much. No, you know, throughout they don't. Um, so anyway, speaking of wrist stakes, I'm going to pop out a couple of my own. 
Ooh. Um, first one, Lauren's narrative framing of the story he's telling in a nightclub feels forced and awkward. I, 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 it's weird. I like it in some ways, mm-hmm. but overall, as an effect, I think it takes away from, um, from the rest of the episode. It feels a little kitschy for one. Um, and this is already a bizarro episode. So adding in another break from reality. Yeah. feels like a little bit too much it just it feels weird when you're speaking directly to the um to the camera and mm-hmm. and like all of that stuff it just it feels really strange but at the same time though i liked the way that it was done mm-hmm. i think that it wasn't good for the episode but i kind of liked the the aesthetic of it yeah so it was strange it's like a half staking yeah, it's weird, and it raised yeah. research questions, too, that we'll get yeah, to Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely got some research questions yeah. about that. Um, the other thing I don't like, and here we are once again, Gunn being played as stupid. We have Wesley asking Gunn what school he attends, right? Mm-hmm. And Gunn just gives him a look. So, like, are we trying to, like, imply that Gunn never graduated from high school or that he never went to high school? Um, but the thing is that, like, regardless of whether he went to school or not, Gunn, is clearly not just intelligent, which is something you can be without being educated, but also educated. At the very least, if he didn't go to high school, he's self-educated. And I just don't like the implication that he's not. He's yeah. not just street smart. He's like smart, smart. He understands things. Yeah, maybe he can't understand string theory, but I know a lot of really smart people who can't. I like can't. not a lot of people can, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, and, and plus, yeah. like, we know, I mean, Gunn is not a slayer, but he's living the life of a slayer. Right. So he's up all night fighting vampires. Yeah. So it would make sense that a regular school schedule would not work for Wouldn't him. Wouldn't work for him, but he's clearly educated. I guess for me, like, I just, the implication that he didn't go to high school and that's just it, that he's not educated, he's clearly educated. I mean, you know, his intelligence has never been lacking. He's not fucking grew. No. <laughs> oh, poor grew. Oh my God, Gru is a teenager. Okay, I had to reach back hilarious. in time and slap Gru because that's how much I hate Gru. Oh, I can't Gru. just let him be gone. I I read it as more of like being annoyed by the question itself, like who you know, like who are you to question me, kind of thing. Yeah. And it, but it, it also was funny to me because you know how like every city has its own version of this question mm-hmm. that basically tells people your socioeconomic status, and like yes. every city has a different one. Mm-hmm. Like my hometown, people ask you where you go to church because that mm-hmm. tells them your neighborhood. Right. Well, mm-hmm. when I moved to St. Louis, the question here is, where did you go to high school? Mm-hmm. Because St. Louis is divided up in these little bitty pockets. And mm-hmm. so if you tell people where you went to high school, then they know where you grew up and they basically know your socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. Well, when I first moved here, I didn't understand that. Yeah. And every new person I asked kept asking me where I went to high school. And I was finally like, look, y'all, do <laughs> I sound? Do I sound like someone who went to high school in St. Louis? I mean, come on, people. Like, come on. And and I was like, I have a bachelor's degree. I have a master's degree. I have postgraduate training. I have a PhD. And you mm-hmm. care where I went to high school? Like, right. what's the deal? Yeah. But then I finally figured out what the question was really about. But by like the hundredth time that someone mm-hmm. asked me that, I started giving them the gun look. Yeah. So <laughs> I was I on guess, gun yeah, side for that one. That. I can understand that. But he also has this moment where he says, I'm the muscle, you're the smart guy, you know, yeah. and also seems to be taking down his own intelligence. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I don't like those implications. They really no. annoy me because, yes, he's tough. Yes, he's a warrior. Yes, he can kick anybody's ass, but he's not dumb. He's no, not cruel. He's, he's not Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. He's not, <laughs> he's not that guy. <laughs> 
You know, like he's clearly <laughs> educated. He's not Star-Lord from Guardians no, right. of the Galaxy. He's not Ronan the Accuser from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> he's not everybody from Guardians of the Galaxy with the exception of maybe Rocket. Um, <laughs> so now we're just now, now I'm just slapping the MCU. Staking stuff so, all over the place. I'm staking things that aren't even in this universe. But the whole bottom line is I'm tired of the I'm tired of the guns not smart implications. Yeah. That yes. annoys me. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Um so and then we have um Connor, who oh, for a kid who's not a vampire, we sure stake him a lot. Um <laughs> And Connor needs like all of the stakes in this yeah. episode because the thing with the girl in the alley, like he Ugh. saves this girl who, you know, is is some form of like offering him a reward and then wants money for it. Right. And he, first of all, it's gross for him to take her up on the reward for saving her life yeah. because that's gross. Um, but then when she says, oh, if you don't have any money, forget it. And he grabs her and says, wait, I saved you. And I'm like, no, uh, no. no, she doesn't owe you sex for saving her, you know. And then later, Lorne, in his little, you know, narrative framing device, says, poor Connor, engine revving and stuck in park. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me oh it's like, so gross no oh. it's disgusting and then later cordy you know as her 17 year old self says you're getting a big reward and i'm like oh oh my god first of all we've got enough grossness with cordy and connor when she knows you know kind of who she is like this is so incredibly gross and connor stepping into this whole thing without knowing what's happening or any like Connor is the worst, and if you remove him entirely from this episode, it gets infinitely better. Oh, yeah. So much better. And they mess up literally everything with Connor. Like, I love yeah. characters having theme music. Mm -hmm. But even Connor's music pisses me off. Yes. It just sounds pissed off and pouty. And I'm like, so I guess that suits him. But mm -hmm. I hate, I mean, even the dude's music is bad. Everything yeah. about how they are doing this with him is yeah awful it's like an exercise in awful like how bad can we write this oh no wait yeah. we can make it worse let's mm -hmm. make it worse yeah. let's also make him entitled to sexual favors for Ugh. you know like trying to become a good person again mm -hmm. after sinking angel to the bottom of the ocean like yeah oh my god it's so disgusting it's so disgusting and also I need to have a little chat with this child's father mm -hmm. because when you walk into someone's bedroom and they come out in a towel, you turn around and then you walk out so they uh, can get dressed. Also, you knock. Yeah. Like, you knock. Yeah. You just, you knock. I know, I know you're all in a hotel and whatever. Uh, yeah. But you knock. Yeah. I mean, unless she left the door open open and he just wandered in thinking or whatever but like she comes out in a towel that's the moment when you're like hey you know what i'll come back uh-huh yeah i mean yeah oh my god that? and and i i was at least partially relieved that cordelia said that connor's 18 i'm like okay well at least that question's answered and he's a legal adult but still oh my god this whole thing is grosser than gross no but he's still he's still a son analog for her oh yeah it's yeah. still oedipal oh. fuck it's oh, yeah. awful. It's, it's awful. disgusting. It's, so it's disgusting. Bad. It's so bad. Yeah. And um, I was completely like grossed out by all of that. And again, it's like these sex jokes that are just mm -hmm. easy and flat. And there's one where Wesley's like, I happen to be head boy. And Cordy's like, I wonder how you earn that nickname. And he goes, a lot of effort, actually, you know. And ugh, like that yeah. joke is low hanging fruit and it's overripe. Like, 
it's just it's so like there's not anything really funny about it except that it's like oh because head means blowjob (laughs) 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 you know it's like who wrote this beavis and butthead what is that (laughs) you know like they're they're smart people they've written lots of smart things like this could absolutely be a lot better than that um and then we have fred talking about aliens and her naked helpless body and wesley's little sword wrist sword pops out like you know oh it's like because it's like an erection (laughs) you know i mean whatever like this is stupid i know i I mean can't we just have good old sexual tension without stupid jokes don't give up probe don't give up (laughs) oh oh no, whatever. Stake it, it's baby. It's so stupid. Stake it, stake it hard. Speaking of which, this episode of Still Dead is brought to you by Wesley's Automated Wristweapons.com. Say that fast <laughs> five times. Wesley's Automated Wristweapons.com. Yes, it's a long name. We consider that part of our charm. We'll build you a bunch of weapons that serve both to threaten your former best friend when he gets rough with you and to pop out suggestively anytime your crush says something vaguely sexual, proving once and for all that men are monsters who can't control their, you know, weapons. Made with fortified leather and lined with sheep's wool to keep your wrists both both strong and protected from sharpened swords and stakes flying out all over the place. Wesley's automated wristweapons.com are made specifically to delight you while cutting your enemies to tiny, tiny little pieces or embarrassing you with an ironically timed penis metaphor. You know, whatever. Go to Wesley's automated wristweapons.com and use the code WEIRDFLEX to get your discount today. <laughs> or instead, you could choose to take the few bucks you might spend on weapons that are as likely to maim you as anyone else and give it directly to Chipperish Media so that we can keep making the great podcasts you love, like Still pretty about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, hosted by me and Noelle LaCroix. Listen up, a-holes about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hosted by me and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. Orgasm about explosive inspiration from our own Dr. Kelly Jones and Noelle LaCroix. And our Star Wars podcast, Metaphors Be With You, hosted by Rob Hyrett. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. Okay, so now that we're done with that, um, I wanted to go into research mode with this a bit, um, because one of the things... That was kind of interesting is this idea of like the me- the meta story yeah. like that like we have this moment with Lauren and there's this like narrative framing device and there's all of that stuff um, and it got me thinking like is the whole run of Angel just a story that Lauren tells in a nightclub after everything has already happened? Oh, that is so fascinating. It's kind of interesting. It's so interesting, especially because, okay, so the whole thing I was questioning, right? And we hear the audience at different times, but we don't actually see them. Right. And then at the end, when Lauren gets up and leaves, all the tables are empty. So there's not a soul in there. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, well, did he just go backstage and wait on everyone to leave? Or is he in an empty nightclub? Right. And like, is that Lauren's version of an afterlife? Is that Lauren mm-hmm. sitting Ooh, somewhere during the right? Lost meets angel, baby. Sure. I mean, something. Oh my god. Um, is he? You know, is he because he doesn't have Caritas anymore? Is he like going somewhere else when it's closed and like getting this out of his system because he's mm-hmm. processing, yeah. you know, his own stuff? Because it just could not make sense to me. That he would share all of this with an audience. Yeah. And then I thought, what if he's not sharing yeah. this with an audience? What if he's literally talking to himself, but he's doing that in the full way that Lorne would do? Yeah. You know? Right. And he says there's nothing more annoying and unreliable mm-hmm. than magic. And I'm like, this yeah. is a guy who built his 
I don't know, his whole, you know, his club, his faith, in some yeah. ways his life around magic. Mm-hmm. So you see how much he's changing. Right. But I love your idea that this is after the end of everything. And this is how yeah. we find out the story because Lauren is telling it. Oh, that's right. good. Oh, yeah. But I mean, the idea that it's an afterlife nightclub. But this is him, you know, after death telling these stories because it is in this very surreal environment. It really is. You know, and all the tables are empty. Like, what is that? Mm -hmm. You know, that's really interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, but it it seems like an interesting, a a weird, and we don't do this again. You know, this is a one time kind of device that we use and it's, it's really, really strange and it's interesting and I kind of both love it and hate it. Yep, me too. I can't. I can't really decide, which is mostly how I feel about this this episode. Anyway, <laughs> um, which brings me to this: like this, this on paper is an episode made specifically to delight me. I mean, it's half band candy, it's half tabula rasa. Two of my favorite episodes of Buffy. Right? I love a bizarro world. I love where we have some kind of weird magical effect that puts everybody into a different place, and we get to see them within a different context. Um, you know, but like, why? Why isn't this my favorite episode of Angel? This does everything that I love. Why do I hate this episode? You know, and I'm like, well, okay. Band Candy has that that you know reframing, taking people from you know from an older place to a younger place, and so we kind of see them living as teenagers. Uh, but it also has a bigger story. It's got the mayor stirring up shit. There's Ethan Rain as the episodic villain, and it has a very clear story structure because Jane Espenson wrote it. And there is nothing that woman knows how to do better <laughs> than a story structure. She is amazing it's at it. Such um, and she does episode. a lot of things well, but structure is absolutely like she is amazing with structure um and tabula rasa is is a little bit weaker i think when it comes to story structure mm-hmm. um but the episode antagonist is willow who ends up getting caught in her own trap so it's really like this clear internal antagonist story which is very very cool we've got the buffy spike stuff that's happening in that episode that's really real um and if i'm honest you know this episode and tabula rasa actually share a lot of dna so um, why does Tabula Rasa work for me? Because Tabula Rasa has a lot of silly jokes, too, and a lot of silly moments. And, you know, um, but it, it really works for me. And this one doesn't. And I think that the, the difference is that Tabula Rasa's jokes feed deeply into who our characters are and where they are at this point in their evolution throughout the course of the story. You know, yeah. um, the jokes in um, Spin the Bottle are thin and they're not deeply relevant. It's like, ooh, Fred likes weed. Yay. Wesley's arm steak looks like a penis. Ah, and he was head boy. Woo. You know, Cal- Cordy was shallow in high school. Angel doesn't know he's a vampire, which honestly could have been interesting if we were framing it within a story about Angel's essential identity. But A, we've done that a lot. And B, we didn't do it here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we were going for. Um, and then I'm wondering, like, is the weird kind of taking you out of the moment Lorne telling the story framing? Is that what makes it fall flat? Um, is it the breaking of the fourth wall as he looks into the camera? Is it any of that stuff? And I'm like, I don't think so. Because while I don't care for it because it feels like extremely self-aware, it's not a terrible narrative construct. And it is in parts done really well, you know? I mean, so I actually kind of like it even though I don't like it. Um, and then I think that maybe it's just the this whole episode is just a premise play. You know, Mm -hmm. and there's not really much else that's actually happening. And I think 
I think that that's it. I think that we've got all these flat jokes. They're not deeply relevant. They're not deeply anchored in character. They're like shallow affectation jokes, you know? Um, and and, uh, and it's a premise play. It's just about, oh, yeah. look, here's this idea, but we're not really doing anything And with there's it. not the antagonist structure like there mm-hmm. is in Band Candy mm-hmm. and Tabula Rasa. So here, right. you know, Lorne is the one who finds the memory spell. Right. But then Lorne is a passive storyteller. He doesn't go through the memory well, change. And he's not doing this specifically. This is a magic gone wrong, right. but it's, it's not just... something that he's doing deliberately. I mean, Tabula Rasa is magic gone wrong, too. Yeah. But it's because Willow has bad intent. Right. right? And Willow and, is. Yeah. yeah and, but then she's part of it. And she's also part of it. So it yeah. is an internal antagonist. Thing. Yeah. But yeah. Lorne's not part of this. Now, if, if Cordelia had found the memory charm and was like look i want to do this i want you guys to make this happen i want my memory back i don't care right Right. and then some you know the fallout of this is something that she has to deal with Mm -hmm. fine right if if lorne had been like look i can't handle having this stuff in my head and wolfram and hart is coming after me so we're Mm -hmm. gonna do this memory spell and then lorne had like something came out of that that affected lorne Mm -hmm. then fine but neither one of those things happened. Lauren is yeah. like, hey, I just happened to overhear this memory thing in a reading. And and then I'm going to be unconscious and tell a story of everybody being silly and goofy. Mm-hmm. And then Cordelia is going to get her memory back. Right. So, yeah, that that part of it doesn't work for me in that in that context. Yeah, it just doesn't hold together well. No, and so I think all of it together. I think there's a lot of different reasons why this doesn't work, despite the fact that it is constructed of everything that I love. Right. (laughs) And and I had I had one question about Cordy, and then I had several Mm -hmm. about Angel. So Cordy has her Sunnydale memories, but she doesn't remember Angel or Wesley, Mm -hmm. and -hmm. she doesn't seem to be familiar with vampires. So, but she says she's a sophomore, and that's Buffy season one. Yeah. So I guess she just happened to get her memory back from the pre-Buffy part of the year. Up to when Buffy showed up, I guess. Yeah, like right before yeah. Buffy. So that, And that seems a very weird and specific time. Yeah, it, it right? really seems yeah. like a very specific age. And I thought that was very mm-hmm. strange. That is strange. Um, but I did find myself engaged with some of the Angel questions. Mm-hmm. Um, because Angel, before he realizes he's a vampire, says that he feels cold inside. Right, And so it was interesting to see how that vampire demon feels to him before he knows what he is. Oh, yeah. And I think there was a lot that they could have done there that they didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then when, you know, they all turn on him and he goes into vamp face, it really reminded me of Frankenstein because he doesn't want to attack. Like, he's not coming after any of them. He tells mm-hmm. them he doesn't want to fight. He only right. fights to defend himself. But they think he's a monster. And so he turns into a monster. Right. Um, And he says, you know, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to be attacked. I didn't ask to be a freak. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there was some really crunchy space they could have played with there about Angel not wanting to be a vampire Mm -hmm. that would have been incredibly interesting. And we just didn't we didn't peel the layers back enough. Right. Yeah. And instead of him being like, oh, my God, I'm the vampire or whatever. Like, I mean, I understand why he lied. Mm -hmm. But again, like we're, we're doing so much with, you know, miscommunication and secrets and lies and, and, and pinning so much of our conflict on that, that it would have been refreshing, you know, to have him deal with that turn of his identity. Yeah. 
you know, to, I mean, I understand, you know, of course, why he didn't tell them because, but I'm good. You know, like, I mean, this is the thing, like in Tabula Rasa, when Spike realizes it, he's like, but I'm, I'm a vampire, but I don't want to bite you. I must be, you know, a champion, a vampire Mm -hmm. with a soul, you know, like he does that (laughs) whole run, right? Like, I mean, I guess, you know, we don't want to do that again with Angel because we did it with Spike so perfectly in Tabula Rasa. But yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. Yeah, it was weird, especially because I did like that Fred trusts Lorne. Yeah. You know, he's like, look in your heart, sweetie. Am I evil? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And and Lorne can't hide his form the way that Angel can. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there, it just like, again, lost potential for great storytelling drives me crazy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. On that, I'm going to (laughs) brood. Spin the Bottle is an episode that has all the elements made specifically to delight me, but doesn't manage to pull them off. It's all premise, no cattle. Overall, the only thing we really get from this episode as far as the overall story arc goes is Cordy gets her memory back and has a vision of a demon. But I'm not sure it's worth making this one a watcher. I don't know. I'm really on the fence. Yeah. I think there are people who are going to complain that this was a skipper. I know. This is this is probably the first one that I've had a lot of internal struggle with. Like, should this be a watcher? Should this not be a watcher? In the end, not much happens. Yeah. I mean, as far as the overall story goes, just she gets her memory back, which, you know. And you find that out immediately at the beginning of the next episode. So it's not like you'll miss it. And she only has her memory for like three seconds at the end of the episode. Right. So, yeah, like you don't miss much. And if we're if our criteria for watcher versus skipper is you need to see it in order to not be lost in the narrative. Right. right? Right. Then I think that that's why it's a skipper. At the same time, I think that there's a lot of potential here and it can be a lot of fun for people who want to just like enjoy a fun, bizarre world episode of Angel. So I don't know. But if our criteria is you can't miss it or you're going to be lost, then I think it has to be a skipper. I think so, too. And I would probably say this is a skipper I'd recommend watching, but it's not required viewing. But it's not required viewing. Absolutely. Which is what it comes down to when we're talking about skipper and watcher. People get upset about those, you know, designations because, like, well, that's a good episode or that's a crappy episode and I have to watch it. It's like, it's not about good and bad. Right. It's about, are you going to be lost? (laughs) Are you going to be able to make it through the narrative? It's about getting through. It's about getting through Angel, guys. We're just trying to get you through Angel. It's not about good and evil, Lonnie. It's about power. It's about power. (laughs) It's always about power. (laughs) All right. Dr. Jones, what's making you thirsty this week? Lila Morgan with a Southern draw. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yes, baby. (laughs) I want to listen to her talk like that all the time. (laughs) I know. It's really cute. Like, it doesn't, and I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter how evil Lila is. Oh, she's it doesn't so matter. Bad. I love her she so can, much. She can do anything. She can be super, super evil. And we have seen her be super, super evil. Oh, yeah. And yet every time she walks on screens, I'm like, yeah, baby. What's that for me? <laughs> I know. I'm like, Sugar, you are so, so evil. Can I, can I buy you a drink? Like, uh, it's I, ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's uh, so uh, great. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, my God. It cracks me up. I love it. I love it. All right. So what's your favorite part? Well, I've got Academia in here mm-hmm. and Lila and Angry Angel and Deep mm-hmm. Dark Wesley because I, oh, I just couldn't decide. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, especially with, with two episodes that are kind of like not that great. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to kind of pick the favorite thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I think I just want like a super dark, twisty, snarky, supernatural story set at a university. Yeah. No, like- <laughs> I think totally. Write it. That's write it. 
if you can't find what you want to read, write it. So that's that's your job now. I've, okay. I've given you an assignment. Should only take a couple of years. Go, go for it. <laughs> write that novel. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> what about you? What's your favorite part? Oh, God. Did I miss the spell? Did English go away? I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I I can't help it. I can't help it. It's wrong, and I know it, I and I ship it, it and I don't care. No way. I, I love care. it. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I ship it. I ship it. I ship it. <laughs> well, we want to hear about all your ships. So to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Dianrich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still dead. To keep up to date with everything produced by Chipperish Media, follow at Chipperish. Still Dead and all Chipperish Media shows are made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to make idle threats against Lila. <laughs> Visit patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Dead by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review or telling your friends about the show and Chipperish Media or opening a portal and sending a serial killer to a hell dimension. Sure, but just be sure you snap his neck first. <laughs> because let's make it as morally complicated as humanly possible. Absolutely. I- <laughs> All right. So some of you out there may have heard the news that Kelly and I are starting a new podcast called Welcome to the End Times, covering the book Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Sir Terry Pratchett, and also covering the TV series adaptation, which is going on Amazon Prime Video, releasing May 31st. We're doing six episodes covering the book and then six episodes covering each episode of the TV series. And there might be like a bonus episode thrown in there somewhere or whatever. We're kind of improvising this whole thing. Just a little. Um, just a little bit. Okay, the first episode of Welcome to the End Times will release on April 21st. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you can already find the teaser episode up there. And we will have it soon on the website and available to subscribe to in your podcast app of choice. But what that means is that while we focus on one apocalypse, we're going to have to put the other one aside for a while. Still Dead is going to go on hiatus while we cover Good Omens. So next week's episode will be our last one until Still Dead returns on Tuesday, July 16th. And I know that's a disappointment for some of you, but we hope that you'll come join us for Welcome to the End Times. I think there's some shared DNA between... Angel and welcome to the end times. There's some really, really fun stuff. Good Omens is a wildly fun book and the TV series looks to be absolutely delightful. It's got some David Tennant. Mm -hmm. It's got some John Hamm. It's got some Michael Sheen. Um, Really, really great stuff. So many fun things happening in there. Go watch the trailers. They're amazing. They're out there. And I think you're really, really going to want to join us for that. So we are sorry that we have to put um, Still Dead on hiatus. But in order to do all the things we want to do, sometimes you just got to make those choices. But it'll be okay. So as we said, next week's episode is our last one until July 16th. But we'll be back next time with Season 4, Episode 7 and 8, Apocalypse, Nowish, and Habeas Corpus, both of which are skippers. Until then, oh good. Symbols on the floor. That always ends well. Um, although, oh my God, polyamory with Gun uh, Fresley, Gun Fresley and Red. <laughs> Fresley, <There> Fresley. <laughs> Let me take another run at that, shall I? All right. <laughs> uh, Lila and Fresley. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about polyamory done right, baby. <laughs> Woo.